Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. It's always great to, to come back, and it's always very, very easy. It is like coming back to your family home. And so I just kind of slip in and realize, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much at home here, and so just joining with you guys in worshiping is just wonderful, and is a wonderful experience. And even just to be praying for you guys, as we have been doing, um, is just a, an amazing experience. Um, so thank you for having me. Um, not that many of you had a choice, um, but thank you all the same. Um, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me? We're going to be in Acts 11, and I'm going to read from verses 19 to 30. Uh, Acts 11, 19 to 30. And this is where you've been for the last few weeks. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that is the, uh, the Greeks or the Greek-speaking non-Jews, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, turns to the Lord, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now this is Saul who will become Paul who incidentally is also the guy who scattered these guys. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief um, to the brothers living in Ju Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So I'm coming to you now as you're in this series, as you said, looking at this church in Antioch and what is going on there. Now Luke writes his uh, two-part series, uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, as a sort of um, kind of like an apologetic. Right? He, he's writing, he says, he starts uh, this two-part series writing to a guy called Theophilus, uh, a, a, a Greek or a, a non-Jew, um, uh, and he writes to him and he says, I want you to know that what you've heard is true. I want you to know that what you've heard is true. And so it, I've compiled this account of of what has happened up to you receiving the gospel to confirm to you that what you've received is true and is authentic. His aim, as he writes to this guy and, and to the broader church, and this is in the midst of growing persecution, growing opposition in the church, put, uh, Luke's aim in writing is to strengthen their faith, to, to gird it, so that they know that what they've believed is authentic and is true. How can you be sure and secure in the faith that we've, we've taken up? Luke says, I'm going to show you Jesus. And I'm going to show you what he's doing through his church. 
something really powerful in that. Now, there's, there's, there's room, right? You know, we, we love the Alpha course, things where uh, you ask good questions and you give good answers to good questions. But for Luke, how, how is someone going to know the, the authenticity and the truthfulness of the gospel? It's going to be revealed in having seen Jesus for who he is and seeing him at work through his church. And so this, this message comes to both people who are kind of inquiring, what, what, what is this? What, how, is, how do I know that this is, this is true? How do I know that this is, this is authentic, this is real? And to Christians who are beginning to feel increasingly the pressures of the world around them to conform or to drop what they've believed. Luke writes and says, no, what you've believed is true, it is sure, and you can be secure at it. The authenticity of the gospel is marked by revelation of Jesus and the faithfulness of the church to fulfill the great commission that he gave them. That is right at the beginning of Acts. You know, you're going you're to receive power to, to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Luke, he's not just telling us everything that happened in that first generation of the church. He wants to tell that story of how the gospel went to the ends of the earth, how it went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and on and on and on and on. And that's what he's doing. And so as he's doing that, he's highlighting key moments in the story. He highlights key moments where the gospel broke through another barrier, highlights another moment where it came into contact with another culture. And so that's the story that Luke is telling us. I may have said this before, but one of the things I love about the book of Acts is there's no concluding statement. Um, Luke doesn't have a kind of summary, and, and that was that, and they all, and they all lived happily ever after. It, he leaves it open-ended. The gospel is still being preached, and it's as if to say, you know, he hands you the pen and says, go on then, go on then. Now it's you. You continue to work in this, continue to, to walk in this. Now, the church in Antioch that you've been looking at is, a, is one of those key moments that, that Luke wants to draw our attention to. It's one of those key moments that Luke wants us to see as he, we see the, the truthfulness and the authenticity of what we've believed outworked in the, the, the faithful church. Because here, the gospel wasn't just preached to Jews. You see that? And you've seen that before. It wasn't just preached to Jews, but, but there were some of them, these unnamed heroes who preach the gospel to non-Jews, to, to the nations. Up till now, people have just been preaching to, to Jews. Hey, look, this is the fulfillment of your promise. Suddenly, people are spilling out and saying, look, here's the fulfillment of the promise to the Jews that is also for you. This is for the nations. This is for the nations. In the previous chapter, actually, the disciples have been, the, the apostles in Jerusalem have, have, been, have received revelation that, that wow, this, this gospel is for the, it's for the nations. And, and they're working this out, and they're, they're chewing on this, and they're, they're joyfully trying to figure out, what does this look like now? What is this going to look like on the ground? And we see them trying to figure out what it means and what it might look like. And even as they're trying to figure out what it means, Luke tells us, he cuts away to another scene, and he says, the gospel was already bearing this fruit. Even whilst these guys are working out, like, wow, this is amazing. This is going to the nations. Then they hear report, wow, it's, it already has. <laughs> this, is, this has happened in, in Antioch. The, the, this, we've seen this fruitfulness at work. These unnamed heroes, as I say, took the gospel with them and planted a church in Antioch that reached out to the nations. It's just what the gospel does. Even before the disciples have worked, have, have figured out what that means, the gospel is already bearing fruit. 
because you can't stop it. <laughs> it's what the gospel does. It goes to the nations. It's what Paul will later talk about in Ephesians as he writes to them, saying, you who are far off have been called in. And together they've been made one new man in Christ. All peoples come into this kingdom of God. It's revolutionary. It's revolutionary. And so the apostles hearing of what's gone on in Antioch, they send Barnabas, that great son of encouragement. They say, off you go. Like, go, and, go and check that, they're, that what they're believing is authentic. Go, go and teach them. Go and encourage them. Go and uh, give good reports. And off he goes, and he's there, and they, and they bear more fruit as he goes. He encourages them in their faith. And then he goes off and he gets uh, uh, Saul, um, who becomes Paul, which, as I say, must have been a, a strange move, must have prompted some interesting pastoral conversations. Hey, this is the guy who, do you remember why you, you're here in the first place? You remember why you had to flee your home? He's the guy who was dragging out your neighbors and sending them to prison. Well, I'm going to get him, and he's going to be a teacher in the church. Actually, that can only happen in a gospel-shaped community. These guys shaped and and so robust because of the gospel. And they're expecting radical things like that to happen. Well, the guy who was coming after us with the sword is now our pastor. (laughs) It's amazing. And with all that built into the church as as a foundation thing, it becomes the great launch pad for the gospel into the nations throughout Turkey and into uh, uh, Europe, into Greece, Illyricum, Rome, and on and on and on and on. And Antioch becomes this great launch pad of a church into world mission. And so it's fitting then that you, as Jubilee, as you come to look at your, um, your own foundations and your own vision and your own hopes for, for what God is building amongst you here, that you should look to Antioch as a model. Like Antioch, you have been called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to be a a launch pad type church that would see many sent out. That's why why we left you. (laughs) Not because we found something to fall out with you over or to disagree with, but because we, with you, shared that vision that the gospel must go. And having that vision, we went. And And you came with us and you sent us. And the heart of it is that we would see that happen again and again and again and again as you hold those things that God has called you to. But what's important to recognize, even as we look at this and celebrate this and hope for these things, is that, again, in the foundation of this church is a willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Is a willingness to, to, to suffer, to face discomfort, and to recognize that God works even through that to build his church. The church in Antioch comes about because of the persecution in Jerusalem that begins with the death of Stephen, that first martyr. He dies, and then a wave of persecution, opposition breaks out right across Jerusalem, and the whole church is scattered, it seems. Luke says only the apostles were left. Everyone is scattered. Out of that comes gospel advance. Now, that's not out of step with what we see in the New Testament. That seems to be the pattern. Paul comes into a town, and he's preaching there and he's preaching there until he gets kicked out or beaten up. A riot breaks out and he just, he doesn't stop there. He takes that as a sign to move on to the next place and carry on preaching the gospel. And he, he just part and parcel of his, what he's carrying and what he does. He's, he is, uh, he's a, aware of the promises of God that opposition is assured. As a church at the moment, we're looking at, um, we're in Matthew's gospel, looking at that moment where Jesus sends out the twelve. 
first sends out the 12 in, in uh, Matthew 10. And he, and he kind of tells them, hey, look, you, you guys are you're going to face opposition. This, is, this comes with a package. But it's not, just, it's not just that the gospel will go despite it. It's that the gospel will go because of set, even the setbacks will be made to serve the gospel's advance. Jesus is very clear to say. It's not always going to be easy. It won't always be comfortable. There's a very Western mentality that can sometimes creep into the church, which is, oh, it's kind of hard, and so it can't be right. Well, this makes me feel uncomfortable, and so it can't be right. And so very easily that creeps into the life of the church and can creep into our thinking as Christians of, oh, actually, this doesn't, oh, this doesn't feel comfortable, and so it can't be right. Jesus says, hey, you are, you, you are made for this, and it's going to be uncomfortable at times. It's going to be hard at times. I tell you, church planting, what we've been doing in the last three years, it's been hard. There have been times when you come before God, you say, God, what is, what is going on? He says, actually, this is, this is how I'm going to build my church. This is how I'm going to build my church. So what I want to do this morning, and what I've already begun doing, is to, to, to for us to look at together how suffering becomes a means of gospel advance. And not just as a kind of heady academic exercise, but see what it looks like on the ground, but, and to equip you to be able to do what God has called you to do, to feel uncomfortable at times, and to endure and to hold on to the promises of God, and to bring that surety and security that Luke wants to give to his readers. Now, there are some dangers, and I've already said, you know, uh, uh, as Jesus is he teaches, doesn't he, the, the parable of the, the seeds um, in Matthew 13. He, he talks about the, the sower goes out and, and throws seeds. And, and some seeds falls on the rock. And it looks, and they grow. And they're, wow, look, it looks like this is, real, this is real faith. But then when the sun comes, it dies. And Jesus says, this is, like, uh, this is like people who receive the gospel. But then when hardship and persecution comes, they just they fall away. There's no root he says there's no root in themselves. There's just no, there's no root. There's no, it's not going to endure. But he also says, another type of seed that falls among weeds. And he says, actually, these, these grow up as well. And it look, again, it looks healthy. But the weeds come up and choke it, and so it doesn't become fruitful. And Jesus says, this plant, this is, this, these are the ones who, who grow up. They look like Christians, but then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches... Stop it from bearing fruit. I tell you, opposition, persecution, whatever form it might take, the uncomfortableness of just being a Christian and do, being faithful with what God has called us to, hey, that, that can sometimes take the form of the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. I, 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 uh, but I'm so comfortable here, I don't know if God's sending me. Or, oh, actually, that does look hard. Or, oh, that's going to cost me some money. It might mean I can't go on holiday this year. Jesus says, be careful of that, those weeds, because that will stop you bearing fruit. And it's another thing that comes with the opposition that, that we face as we seek to be faithful with what God has called us to. Both of those things look like Christians, at least for a time. But I want us, as we, kind of, as we do this, to, to, to get into our hearts in such a way that would lead us to be both robust in the face of opposition, and radical, not tangled up in the weeds of this world. 
I think there's so many people who just can come to, come to a church gathering and they do the Sunday thing and they, do, you know, they feel all the right feelings and their hands go up at the right times and their lives just look exactly like their neighbors do. You know, they, their, their bank accounts do. There's nothing radical in the, the way that they're living in terms of for Jesus. They just, they just look like another person. The only difference is they've added another date to their calendar. Because I just, I just feel like there's, there's such a pushback that we need in this country particularly against that. We're just so driven for comfort. We just want to be comfortable. So Jesus doesn't promise that. He promises the opposite, actually. If, you're going to, if we're going to carry these things that we're called to carry, you're going to do these things that God has called you to as a church, it's going to require some steps of faith that's going to, yeah, it's going to mess you up at times. <laughs> but wonderfully, even as, we, as it's come out already, God is with us in those times. Jesus says, even as he's sending out his disciples and he promises them these things, he says, I will be with you to the very ends of the age. And so even as we go into that, we know that that is true. He is with us. So we want to be both robust and radical for the gospel and so bear much fruit. See, we, we need to come to an understanding that we are, um, we are a different sort of people. Um, Hebrews 11, that great... Uh, chapter that highlights so many great heroes of the faith uh, throughout the Old Testament. It says, says of them um, that they, uh, they saw that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They recognized they didn't belong to this world, and so they didn't have the cares of the world. They recognized, hey, we're, we're aliens here, and so we are going to face opposition. We, we have di- a different value system. We, we treasure different things. Our, our lives are meant for something else. We belong to another kingdom. Having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They're not trying to build their home here. They're not trying to establish a nice comfy house and nice holidays. That's not what they're after. They're seeking another homeland. They're pressing on into something else. If they had been thinking of the land which they'd gone out from, they would have taken every opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country and a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. This city, the city of God, it says earlier, Abraham, having seen it, was willing to dwell in tents all his life. Imagine him putting tent pegs in, people asking, I thought you said you saw a city, Abraham. I did, and that's why we're living in tents. I saw a city. I have a vision of something, and so I'm willing to be made uncomfortable for this time because I know God has called us to something greater. We're a different people. Our citizenship is in heaven. 1 Peter says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Hey, some of you are far off. These people brought together. But now you are a chosen people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. We are a different sort of people. We're set apart. There's this uh, moment in Exodus where uh, uh, Moses calls, on the promising of God, calls the people to give a free will offering. They're going to build the tabernacle. They're going to build the, the, the temple of God. And he calls the people, come and bring your spare building materials, your household goods, bring them. And we're going to transform them. We're going to turn them into the tabernacle where God will dwell. 
And so all these things come, these, these jewels, these, these household possessions, they all come, and from them are made the tabernacle, the temple of God, where he dwells amongst his people. Something has, trans, has been transformed. Normal things have just been transformed into something that is now set apart for holy purpose. And that's what's happened to us. We were household goods. We were of the world. We were just regular things. And now we've been transformed into a holy people. These guys who have been scattered in Antioch have understood that. Hey, that, that house that I had, that I had to leave. Those family members. Those riches. That's not, I belong to something else. My life is for something else. And so they're able to endure. They're able to endure. Now, there's so many Christians that might live in such a way as, you know, imagine Moses after having made the tabernacle with these things. Someone comes and says, can I, can I get that back? Can I please have that, that, that sheepskin back? I, I, it's a bit cold tonight. I need it. Like, no, it's, that's not what it is anymore. It's been made into something else. It it's now sits in the Holy of Holies serving God. That's your life. It's your life. Don't try and take it back to serve you know, the, the world and the way the world works. Your life is now sitting in the Holy of Holies doing holy things for a holy God. These guys have understood this. They've understood this. My life is not my own, says uh, Paul. But I, but I live, the life I live, I live in Christ. I've been transformed, set apart, a new citizen, a new kingdom, consecrated, made holy, and for a holy purpose. And in that knowledge, I can lose all things because I have all things. Right? It's mine. And so I can endure suffering. But here's the thing. These guys have got this in such a way that they're not only able to endure suffering, but they're able to rejoice in it. Because they know that God uses even those sufferings to bring about his gospel's advance. They recognize Oh, this, is, this, this, this pressure that I'm feeling is not just these setbacks I might feel. You know, church planting, you think, oh, this is step one step forward, two steps back, and sometimes it feels like that. These setbacks, actually, God isn't phased by them. In fact, they, they're the designated way by which the gospel will advance. How's the gospel going to go? Well, in part, through hardship. You know, it's not, right, the enemy comes and thinks he's going to knock down what God is building. God uses even that movement to serve what he's building in the nations. And we, as regions beyond, we're now in, I think, 17 plus unreached people groups. That doesn't happen without some people suffering loss. And yet again and again, what you see in these situations is every step back is actually just like a new redirection. And people are launched into something new. And, and as uh, persecution rises or opposition rises, so the, the gospel advances that's what we see here, right? There's, uh, the church's mission, that mission that's been given to, uh, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, rather than being hindered by opposition, setbacks, persecution, suffering, whatever shape they might take, rather than being hindered by them, are accelerated by them, right? Persecution comes in, um, in Acts 8, and up to that point, the church hasn't really left Jerusalem. They've just been in Jerusalem. They've been doing the Jerusalem thing really well, actually. They've been doing the Jerusalem thing really well, but they've not yet got to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Suddenly, persecution comes, and boom, they're out into Judea and Samaria. 
And then, as we see, as we come to the passage that we've read about the church in Antioch, they're also in the ends of the earth. Suddenly this, this thing has just been broken open. Like the enemy tries to, to squash what God is doing and suddenly pff, out shoots in another direction. And again and again, you look at the persecuted church, some of these places where the church is most persecuted. It's where it's most growing. Unfortunately, sometimes the opposite can be true as well. That we can, as, we, as we're in a place of peace, it feels like, we can just become consumerist. Again, that, the cares of this world creeping in. And we can stop bearing fruit. We kind of reach this kind of state of inertia, just non-movement, just stillness. And so many Christians reach that place. And sometimes it takes a, a jab in the ribs to, to get the thing going again. But God is sovereign even in those moments. God is sovereign even in those moments. And these guys have so understood this. <laughs> they so understood this. Hey, whilst we're here, <laughs> whilst our house is burning, whilst we're here, why don't we just preach the gospel? Why don't we do that thing that Jesus told us to do? And they see it advance. Jesus says, in, actually in towards the end of Luke, he says, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up uh, to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors, not as a platform, but to be judged, to be sentenced and all for my name's sake. And then he says this, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Hey, look, take what platform they give you. If you're take, dragged into courts, if they make fun of you, take that platform and preach the gospel. If you face opposition, hey, it's an opportunity to see the gospel advance. And these guys, they, they probably have Jesus' words ringing in their ear as they arrive in Antioch. And wonderfully, those, those passages that talk about that scattered church, it talks about joy coming to the cities. Joy coming to the cities. You think, hang on, what brought you here again? Oh yeah, you, yeah, you had to flee because... And yet yeah, people believe and they rejoice, recognizing that whilst they buy into, the, like, I'm buying into you and you had to flee your home because you believe this thing, but I'm believing this thing. Why? Because they've seen, as Luke presents it, this vision of Jesus and the vision of his church and what he's building in the nation, in the nations. They've seen that heavenly city and so they're willing to live in tents. We stand and we'll pray, shall we? I feel like... I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a few things for us to, to hold here. Even as we uh, uh, hear what was going on in, in Acts. I think, I think there is a, a, a kind of a cultural shake-off that maybe some of us need to do. Recognizing that we belong to another kingdom, that we belong to another city. Maybe there are some weeds that even might painfully need to be uprooted. Those, those comforting things that have been tangling themselves around you. That have actually been cares and deceit of the world. That have not been releasing you to bear fruit in keeping with who you are. Like these guys were. Maybe there's, maybe there's some of that that needs to go on in this room. Some uprooting of weeds. But also, I just, there's such a word of comfort here. 
in whatever opposition you might be facing, whether it's sickness, financial, you as a church, as you push forward into the things that God is calling you to, hey, it's going to be hard. There's going to, there's going to be opposition. Like, oh, look, well, we can't, we, where's, the, where's the finance going to come for this? Or how are we going to release this person? Or, how are we going to, or who's going to lead that? All these things that God has put in your heart as a church, there's going to be opposition. The comforting thing is this. Even that will be made to serve his purposes. Even those moments where you're in the prayer meeting and you think, how is this going to go? <sighs> Leaders' meetings. As you gather and you think, oh, the Lord has put us on, this, us on our hearts. I can't see it. Or this, this has arrived in the church and what are we going to do with it? Even that will be made to serve. Let's pray. I said I was going to pray. I didn't pray. Lord, <laughs> Lord, I pray for my dear friends here for myself, Lord, that we would, we would know the great truth that you reveal through your scripture again and again, that you are sovereign over all and that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gospel is advancing. Even as, it's, even as, it, even as uh, the enemy pushes back, even as we face our own uh, opposition against it, in our own lives we feel it. And as a church, we feel it. Oh, we thank you that in all these things, you are building your church. Oh, help us to hold on to that, even sometimes with white-knuckled faith. I pray as well for, for any of us who may have some ways given way for these weeds to grow up that have maybe not allowed us to bear fruit that we're called to where we've cared too much about comfort, about this world, cared too much to suffer discomfort in any way. Lord, I pray, would you drop away? Or would you just water us now with faith and grace to make way for fruitfulness in the gospel? Come, Lord Jesus.